All right, so the Bible deals quite a bit with um, light. We, we know that we are a people of, we, we are supposed to be the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world that came into the world, and his light is in us, and we become a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, a light that is put on a lampstand that is not hidden underneath it, so that everybody could see. The Bible deals quite a bit with light. In Genesis, it starts and it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness was on the face of the deep. In other words, it was desolation. It was emptiness. It was a void. It was chaotic. There was nothing. It wasn't, it wasn't formalized in the beginning. It was an empty, void, desolate, and in chaos. It says it was formless and empty, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God said, let there be light. So out of everything that God does and everything that God could say and everything that God does in creation. The first thing that God does is says, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning. It was the first day. So the first thing that God does in desolation, the first thing that God does in emptiness and in chaos is that he switches on the light. He he says, let there be light. And in the absence of anything, anyone hearing this, when God spoke, let there be light, all creation responds to God's voice and immediately there was a light. And he separated the light from the darkness. And it's very clear, we are as South Africans very used to darkness. Our government is working very hard to make us more used to it by leveling us up to level six now. You have multiple hours a day of having no lights. So we're used to darkness. God separated the darkness from the light. Further on in Genesis, he says in verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky. So he separated the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark the sacred times, the days and the years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern by day and the lesser light to govern by night. So I wonder if he calls the first one light, and the second one he calls, in the second part of creation, he calls lights, plural. Light, and he said, let there be light. So God steps onto the scene. The Spirit of God is on the face of the waters. He said, let there be light. I wonder who that light is, what that light is, because he said, let there be light. And then later on, he puts lights in the sky, two lights, one by day, one by night. It's not the same light as the first light that he said, let there be light. Now we know in, if we walk through the tabernacle of Moses, you have the outer court, which is God exposed to the elements. When it's day, it's day in the outer court. When it's night, it's night in the outer court. No roof, no covering. When it rains, it rains in the outer court. Then you get into the holies where the seven uh, golden lampstand is there, which makes uh, artificial light. It's not natural light. It's not, it's not God being the light. And then you get past that you get into the holy place where there is no light which speaks of God being the only source of light we know in revelations let me give you the scripture for that we we know in revelations chapter number 21 it says the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamp the lamb is its lamp so in revelations we know that there won't be a light in heaven like the sun that needs to shine to give it light. God becomes the light itself. 
We know that, that the Bible in Jeremiah, I think, it calls, it says the covering of Lucifer was all these precious stones. There's actual research, if you go and look at those types of stones, that if you push light through it, it makes, um, part of it is some stones are just completely dark. You don't see the, 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 the colors through it. And some stones you see actual colors through it. Now, the devil himself was covered with certain precious stones, which would mean something. In the absence of light, those stones mean nothing. So when, when the devil was in God's presence, he would be magnificent, but not of himself. His magnificence was reliant on God being the light. And when God would shine upon him, he would, would shine himself. And this confused him because he thought he could be like God, not knowing that his brilliance comes from God. And he wanted to ascend on the mountains of God. And now being cast away from heaven to the to, to the earth, I saw Satan fall like lightning, Jesus says. Him being cast down to the earth separates him from God's light. That's why he operates in darkness because he has nothing to... Anyway, you understand that there's much being said about light. Now, we, as we progress through this, I want, to, I want you to go with me to Ephesians. And we're going to talk a little bit about this. In Ephesians, Paul, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is divided. It's got six chapters. The first three chapters deals with theology, with doctrine. Um, how you are to understand things and how things work. Doctrine, it deals with doctrine. The, the last three chapters of Ephesians, in, which you can basically say of that, is that it deals with behavior. And so Paul prays certain prayers in the first three chapters. In the first chapter and in the third chapter, Paul prays certain prayers. I want to just quickly go through them. He says in verses 16 of chapter 1, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. We, we read in Revelations that the glory of God gives the light. That the glory, the, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. I make mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, the Father of glory, Revelations 21 reads, God, do not need the sun or the moon to shine for the glory of God, the glory of God gives it light. The Father of glory, the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom. So the Father that shines bright gives you a spirit of wisdom in the revelation and the revelation of knowledge in Him. That the eyes of your understanding, the eyes of your understanding, what feeds your understanding may be enlightened. That you, if your eyes, the eyes of your understanding, your, your eyes perceives the world outside of you and translates that into your, your mind so that your mind can comprehend what it sees. So the eyes of your understanding, so your understanding has to have eyes, but if your eyes doesn't have light, your eyes cannot perceive correctly. So if you're walking through darkness, what feeds your, your, your understanding is darkness. You, you walk past things which you can't see. So God is praying that your eyes may be enlightened by the glory of God, that by God, that God may illuminate your understanding so that you may understand. So if you, if you don't have that in place, watch, that you may know what is the hope of your calling. 
You won't know what is the hope of your calling if your understanding is darkened. If you don't have proper understanding, you don't have, if you don't have light to shine on your understanding, you cannot comprehend what the hope is that you have. All right. And what is the riches of this glory of the inheritance of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. So, so your eyes must be enlightened so that your understanding may grasp the hope and the power and the workings of his mighty power. That which raised Jesus from the dead and seated him on the right hand side of God in heavenly places, far above principalities and power and dominion uh, and might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in which that wishes to come. If your eyes are not enlightened so that you can understand properly what you have, you don't, you don't have access or understand the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that's seated in heavenly places, that he is above every power and principality and every other name. All of these things, you don't have comprehension of that if your eyes are not enlightened, if you, if you don't walk in the light. Make sense? All right. You need to read this slowly. I want you to find me, um, Pastor Libby, that scripture where Jonathan eats the honey. Yes. They can find it at the back there as well. Jonathan eats the honey and his eyes are brightened. So Paul prays this prayer. He says that I pray that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of your calling. What are the riches of his glory in, in, in the, of the inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Three things that you need to know. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may get these three, three things. That you cannot be on this journey with God and survive it if you don't have an understanding of how, because if in, 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 when things go wrong, because things will go wrong. It's not a question of if, it's, it's when. Things happen to everybody. Things are tough to everybody. Everybody has, has issues somewhere or another in their lives. When these things happen and they begin to challenge your faith, if you do not have proper perspective of who God is and have proper hope in the inside, of, of, of this thing that God has done in your life, saving your life, turning your life around, putting hope in you for a future that is set with him and, and, and that you have this anchor in Christ Jesus. If you don't have that, you're not going to survive the troubles around you. That's why you have people come to a church, get saved, and three months later, they're back in their old habits because they never got into a place where they had a revelation of God. Now, I, I want to tell you this. We can counsel all of you if you have issues and we can try and, and you have to understand that the people that's counseling you has their own problems too. So you have people with problems trying to counsel you, but much of the change that happens in your life is not the counseling it's the revelation that God is, that has to bring. There is a part that God plays that you cannot replace by a counselor with a counselor. It's not that you need a different counselor. You, it's not that you need a different church. There are things that you'll never get if God doesn't do it and God won't do it if you don't expect God to do it. And if you don't have any faith that God will begin to move in your life. If you've got that verse about Jonathan, put it on the screen for me. I want to read to you that. Go back about five verses and we'll start there. 
Then Saul and his people who were with him assembled and they went to the battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor and there was a very great confusion. I think it's a lot of verses. Let's go. Next one. Moreover, the Hebrews who were the Philistines before the time went up with them into the camp of the surrounding country and they joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who hidden in the mountains of him, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle shifted to Beth Aven. And the men of Israel distressed that day for Saul had placed the people under an oath saying, cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken a vengeance on my enemy. So none of the people tasted food. Now all the people of the land came to the forest and there was honey on the ground. Uh, remember the Bible says, I'll take you to a land overflowing with milk and honey. Honey is, is, speaks of the promise of God, a place of provision, a place of upliftment, a place of energizing, strengthening. And so he says, and when the people had come into the woods, there was honey dripping, but no one put his hand to his mouth for the people feared the oath. Just pause at that verse. There are sometimes things that you walk past that, you, that has the ability to strengthen you. In this case, it was honey. People walked past honey and never tasted the honey, although they had a deep need for food. They didn't put their hand to the honey. Why? Because they feared what? Man. So I wonder how many things in our blindness do we walk past that has the ability to strengthen us, but we don't see it because we are blinded by our fear of men. That's one example of many other examples that we could, we could find of what, what causes things to be hidden from us under a lie. And so this is the next verse. And when the people had come into the woods, there was honey, not that one, 28, but 27. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore he stretched out his hand, the end of his rod that was in his hand, and he dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his countenance brightened. That's amazing. His countenance brightened. I think, I don't know what 28 says. Let's read it anyway. Then one of the people said, your father strictly charged the people with an oath saying, curses the man who eats the food. And the people were faint. His countenance brightened, which speaks again of light and enlightenment, illumination, because he tasted the honey and it enlightened his countenance. Sometimes we are under a lie that robs us of the honey that God has for us. And we often walk past what God can do in our lives because of fear of men, fear of man, fear of man, because people will say this, we often walk past the honey of God that he has for us. Um, let me help you try, try and make, help you make sense. There are many opinions about how we should do church. I, I think for a week or two, because of the paddle courts that we built there, people withheld their tithe and the offering. That's an opinion. Because they thought that we're taking church money to build a paddle tennis court. I should stop saying paddle tennis. I should just say, call it paddle because it's not tennis. They thought, now if I was to look at those things and stop what we're doing here, I would, I would not continue on what I think is the right route for me to follow because I'm more concerned with what people say. How many people stay out of ministry because of what people say? There are people that has an opinion about how we should build this building. Should we put in expensive carpet or just keep it open so that we can use the funds to do other things with? 
There are people that say we shouldn't replace the sound system with a better sound system. We are not led by people's opinions. But sometimes these opinions affect us. And sometimes that's not even persecution. That's not. Let me just be categorically state this. That that, I don't even consider that persecution. A people, person having an opinion about a paddle core is not persecution. That's just an opinion. And I'm grown enough to know that that's an opinion. Persecution is somebody coming hard after the church trying to close it down. And, and trying to get Christianity out of the country. And throwing people in prison for their faith systems. But there are many people that don't step into what God has for them. Because they're so afraid of what parents or children or brothers or sisters or friends would say. There are people that don't come to this church because they had family members have an issue with the church. Why are you not drinking? Why can't you have a glass of, or, or a bottle of beer with us at night? And that makes people concerned about our church and they stay away. And now you are losing out on that thing which can brighten your inside. You're missing out on the real honey that God has for you because you're afraid of what people will say when you take it. Saul said, if you touch that honey, I'll kill you. And they, for the fear of, of Saul's oath, refused to take the honey. The thing that would be good for them, they refused because they had more fear for Saul. You understand? But when you are weak, you are not, you, you, with these certain fears, we rob ourselves of the thing that should give us strength to be able to stand for God in the time that we should. All right, so moving on. So he prays that prayer. Now Paul begins to pray again. I need to find this Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number three. Paul prays another prayer, a similar type of prayer. He prays again. Now he prays this, watch this. In verse 14, he begins to pray. For this reason, I bow my knees. In the first one, he said, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers in verses 1. Here he says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the preceding verse, for this reason, for this reason tells me he's praying this for a reason. The reason is set out in the preceding verses. But let's continue. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven on earth and earth is named. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. The glory of God is the light in heaven. There is no sun, no moon. He is the light, the glory of God. And he says, in whom the whole family of the earth is, is named, that he would grant to you according to his riches, uh, the riches of his glory, to be strengthened. That he would grant to you that you would be strengthened with might through his spirit. Strengthened with might. Many people are under the opinion that Christians are weak. Our strength is not in our response in the public. Our strength is not in can we punch you back if you punch us. Our strength is not in do we have a, 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 a snarky response to your snarky comments. Our response to the world in which we live is, is, is not because, have you heard Christ, people say of Christians, Sometimes I say it, which is justified because we think we can respond like hooligans when a hooligan has an issue with us. That's not how we respond. But we are certainly not weak and just, okay, trample upon me and then I'm going to turn the other way and just trample on the other side as well. 
turn the other cheek and trample on this side and just squash me and just we're going to be just very apologetic. I don't want to offend you. I'm going to just be a butterfly. I, I'm not likened to a butterfly in the Bible at all. And, uh, more to likened to a lion because he is the lion out of the tribe of Judah and we are his children. So, so Christianity is not about, he says that you would be strengthened. Watch, let me read it to you again. That you would be strengthened. Where was it? With might. That you would be strengthened with might. Through his spirit. Where? On the inner man. That Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. That you may be, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints. What is the width, the length, the depth and the height to, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So he is not praying here for your public display. He's praying for your inner person. So every person in this room has an inside and an outside. I heard someone say this, that we have mirrors for the outside, but we don't have a mirror for the inside. We can measure the outside, but we can't, we can't measure the inside. We have mirrors to show you that your makeup is done right or not right. You have a mirror to tell you that you have a zit. But very few of us can see another person's blemish on the inside. We can easily say that you had a good morning or a bad morning. That you woke up upset or you woke up well. You slept while you didn't sleep. Well, we can very easily tell from your appearance how you, your previous day went. We can tell you about your mood and your, your condition by looking at the outside. It's, it's funny that we use spiritual gifts and we think they work by what we observe on the outside. We think we can prophesy to your spirit by what we observe on the outside. And very often what is on the outside does not match what is on the inside. And just like your outside can get blemishes on your skin or your ha hair can be out of order or whatever, your inside can be like that. But we have no way of telling what's happening on the inside. And sometimes you yourself doesn't even know what's happening on the inside. And Paul is not praying for your outside. And many people are trying to present an outside, not so much caring about what is on the inside. I don't know if you've seen these mermaids. In, at beaches they they're there in the shallow waters and I, I feel for their boyfriends because the poor little guy is standing there he's turning the phone upside down he's bending in strange ways just to try and get the photo for his girlfriend and she's lying there trying and she's spending hours trying to get a picture of her outside to put on Instagram so she can get the affirmation from other people that her outside is perfect but we spend no number of hours with the intent to make sure that the inside is fixed. And more people are concerned with what is on the outside and not concerned with what is on the inside. And so Paul is not praying for your outside. He is praying for your inside. He says that you may be strengthened with the might of God. Where? On the inner man. The inner man. Your strength is not on what is in the outside. Uh, an expensive watch, an expensive watch is worn on the outside. And an expensive watch projects wealth and success on the outside. 
the reason you would wear an expensive watch, and I don't have an issue if you do. Nowadays, these watches are not cheap anyway, and they only last a certain number of years because they're battery operated. But if you wear a certain type of expensive watch, you're trying to project something on the outside that you would say affirms what you believe is on the inside of you. We spend so much money wearing shoes and the right shoes or the right jeans or the right jackets or the right have the nice car or have the nice house because if we can have people see the outside it can project something that might not even be on the inside paul is not praying many ministers are concerned with what is on the outside many there are many pastors and leaders around the world that has to wear wear the right shirts and the right t-shirts and the right uh, suits and have the right cars because if they walk in the right way and the right number of people carry their bags and it's and it's and it's in a part it's impressive because the psyche of of people if if you if the queen elizabeth shows up every day at the local theater she becomes common we understand that there's psychological reasons for uh, why we do that and why people would do that but sometimes you try and present something on the outside to uplift what is on the inside which is not there and god is not concerned with what you have on the outside because jesus did not come as a king and from this kingly position, although he was a king, he was not perceived as a king. He did not arrive on the scene looking and dressed like a king, sitting on a throne to from that, from that throne run his rulership or reign on the earth. He came as a mere human being, much like you and I, born in a manger. No, where he was born, there wasn't even place for him to be born at. He wasn't born, he, there was no bed reserved for him. He was born in, 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 in a struggle. In, in a scenario where there wasn't room for him, his parents might have been anxious. Here is how Jesus arrives on the scene. And when Jesus goes on Palm Sunday, they put palms, he's riding on the back of a donkey. He doesn't come in as a king in a chariot, a golden chariot, because the world thinks that the outside is what is important. They forget what is on the inside. And Paul, having spent three chapters dealing with doctrine, Dealing by this mystery of Christ in us and the regeneration of the saints and the, 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 the change that happens in us. He's dealing with this mystery. And then at the end of the three chapters where he's dealing with doctrine, he prays. Not that you would have a great display in your ministry of your success. Paul is trying to tell you that what happens on the outside is a result of what is on the inside. And if what is on the outside is an attempt to get affirmation from the world, it tells me that the inside has little comprehension. If all you're after is the affirmation of people, those same people will become a limitation to your honey. Because you are so after the people around you's opinion that the inside is, that's how your inside thinking, your wisdom is structured. That the opinion of people matters more than the opinion of God. So what happens is, is your, your, your internal compass, your internal man has to be strengthened and enlightened. So that you may comprehend accurately what is the hope of your calling. What is the strength that raised Jesus from this dead. That, 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 that you might be, be able to stand properly because Paul is moving towards Ephesians 6. Where he is dealing with the armor of God. You can't stand in chapter 6. If you don't have the doctrine in chapters one to three under the knee, 
If you don't comprehend this, and, and your inner man has to be enlightened to grasp this, because if you gra don't grasp this on the inner man, the outer man will suffer more. And we, we as human beings work on the outer man much more than we work on the inner man, because we get away with it. We get away with what we think and people don't know. We get away with how we see the world and people don't know. God knows, but we don't care what he thinks because he can't comment on YouTube. He can't comment on our Instagram photos. We don't care what he thinks because he, nobody knows what he's really saying. And we can hide what is happening on the inside by the way that we make up our faces. And the way we clothe ourselves. And Paul says no. And he says, I'll pray for you. And he prays that you be strengthened on the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Your hearts. Your heart is also a mind. Your mind is not just your brain. Your heart is a mind as well. It's the way God begins to reveal and do things in your life. For the Christ may be dwell in, dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width of length, to know the love of Christ which passes all knowledge. There is a thing that happens on your inside that your knowledge can't even hold on to. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Like a cup. A cup is not useful if it gets put in the water. The water has to be in the cup. Its design is to hold the water, not be put in the water. Make sense? So God wants to fill you, not just put you in it, but he wants to be in you. He wants to fill you because then your purpose can come out of you. He wants to fill you up. God fills the inside of the cup, not the outside of the cup. It's what happens on the inside. You are an earthen vessel, clay pots that is filled with his heavenly treasure, the Holy Spirit. God wants to fill you. It's not just in what I get put. People... I am standing in this church preaching to this church, but what I'm preaching to you in this church cannot be helpful if what is in me is not of God. Does this make sense? And many people want to ascend to a level where they are in a thing and people look at them and they see them and compliment them. They are in the midst of a thing and people point to it. But they, are not, they don't understand that that is worthless as what is inside of that thing, which is in this room, is not from God. The point is, it's not just your outer man, it's the inner man. Paul is praying for the inner man that you be strengthened with might. He says, um, where were, were we? Now to him who is able to exceedingly and abundantly, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, or think according to the power that works in us. Where does the power work? The power works in us. So it doesn't matter where you are as long as the power is in you. It doesn't matter in what you are as long as what is in you is the power of God. So in other words, God can use you in South Africa if he is in you. If you can't deal with South Africa and its issues, God can. So get someone that can deal with this in you. If you have God in you, you can be in South Africa and have no issue with it. Because God in you gives you the strength to stand. This is the context where God places you. Now, 
Let's go to Peter, First Peter. Where's First Peter? I have a great trouble working with this Bible. I don't have a cooking clue where anything is. Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Thessalonians, Timothy. When do I get a Peter? Hebrews, First Peter. There we go. Peter, third Peter, no, not third Peter, Peter 3, 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord's salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some of these things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away from uh, way with error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ the Savior. Um, he, he, Peter says that he is praise for you that you may know let me read that again. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him, uh, be found by him in peace without spot. I'm in Second Peter. That's why it doesn't make sense. I had to reread that and I'm trying to figure this out while I'm reading. It doesn't make sense. Where am I? I'm not in the right place at all. I missed this whole thing. First Peter 3. Let's try that again. Okay, let, me, let me start here. I'm going to work my way through to that. In 2 Corinthians. <laughs> give me a break this morning. 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Paul is writing, right? He's saying... Do not lose heart, though your outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Your outer self is wasting away. I say, I say this of my wife. Let me try and explain this and rescue this mishap. Chanel, although she is beautiful, yes, amen. Men can't say anything now, but all the girls can say, yeah, oh, cute. Her inside is what I married, not her outside. Her outside is important because you, God made something called attraction. I have to be attracted to my wife. Don't marry someone if you're not attracted to them. And if, this is just a point of order, comrades. If you're dating and you're at a certain age and you're dating, and it's not a struggle for you to keep your hands off your partner. You shouldn't. And we have area leaders and you group leaders will tell you, stop it. If it's not a struggle, you're in trouble already. Because it's going to be a struggle. Then there's something wrong with either of you. You have to be attracted. But if I'm only attracted to her outside, I'm married to her. At what age does her outside begin to go down? Her inside is being renewed day by day. 
Most people get married for the outside. That's why you leave your wife at 40 or 45 and find a secretary. Because she's younger. You're not marrying for the inside, you're marrying for the outside. So I would advise young people to make sure that you love the inside. If you can't talk to her, just kiss her. You're there for the outside. If you are more attracted than there is conversation, you already have a problem. Because it'll only last until the outside begins to waste away. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I'll read that again to you. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed by day by day. You can do nothing about your flesh. You, you, if you're an, an idol's singer, you only sing for a certain number of years before nobody wants to listen to you anymore. Ephesians 3.16 says that he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened by might. That's what we just read. By his spirit on the inner man. He's talking about the inner man. Romans 7.22 says, For I delight in the law, of the law of God in my inner being. My outside can't pretend to love God. My inside has to love him. What is happening in me has to be conformed to God. So when I stand in church, I can pretend to worship God, but my mind is not with him. That's a sign that there's a problem in the inside. Because I've lost connection with what, is, what, is, what my flesh can, can maintain the, 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 the facade of holiness while my inside is no, nowhere to be found. They worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Our hearts is what's supposed to be connected to God. He goes on, he says in Matthew 23, Jesus criticized the Pharisees for their external religiosity without inner transformation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, he calls them. He says the Pharisees are hypocrites for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. He says you pretend on that. You're like whitewashed tombstones, but inside there is death. We can't deal with Christians. Listen, listen to me, Christianity, uh, Christians on the outside, those who confess faith in Jesus Christ. You can't, you, how can a, a, a sweet spring of water bring up bitter water, the Bible says? How can a fountain have bitter and sweet water at the same time? How can you criticize the body of Christ and tell Jesus, I love your people? How would, one, how, how would I in public criticize my wife and tonight tell her I love her? Do you think my wife is without fault? Do you think I would discuss my wife's fault with Pastor Louis? How do we as Christians know that the body has fault but discuss it with anyone? If you wouldn't do that with your own wife, Paul deals with marriage marriage people, married, marriage and married people in Ephesians 4 as well, 5, 4, 4 or 5. It deals with that. If Chanel has issues, I'm not going to tell Louis what my wife's issues are because I love my wife. I will not discuss it with him, although he is a very, very good friend and a close friend. I'm not going to talk to him about her issues. So he says to the Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You are whitewashed on the outside, but inside there's death. I'm telling you as a Christian, you have to get the inside sorted out the way you see God's people, the way you feel about God and His church, the way you see doctrine, certain things, this hope that you have in you. If you've come to the realization to whom much is given, much is required. If, you've, if you are forgiven much sin, if you know that Jesus saved your life from, from hell and everything that He picked you up from, then your response to the world has to change. If He saved me from sin, how do I judge your sin? How can I look at your sin and go like, yeah, you slack, huh? 
It's about what is on the inside because the inside, if it's not illuminated, the outside suffers. Now we get to second, first Peter. He says, first Peter, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be, be the hidden person of the heart. With the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Paul is very straight up. This is in first Peter three. This is what I was looking for. And I was confused when I read the whole thing, something. Paul says, listen, you pay so much attention on what you take to make the body look beautiful. But the hidden man on the inside is what God is interested in. He's interested in how you smile when nobody sees you, somebody suffering and walking away and you've done a good deed or you're helping a person. Nobody claps hands for you. When you, when you see a waiter suffering and you realize that this person has a child to get to, through school and they're only earning that salary and you still tip the waiter an extra 20 bucks instead of just not worrying about it and you give that extra 20 and no one sees that. That speaks of your inner understanding. But if that's just somebody that is a scumbag, they're, they're in your way, little Lord you. That speaks of the inner conviction. Well, at least you're a mighty businessman on your way to hell. Because you're not going to get into heaven and go like, check my muscles, check my six pack. I was a pro athlete. God's going to say, so what? And when you're 65 strutting around with a six pack, you look stupid. You've reached an age where that doesn't matter. And then only what remains is what is on the inside of you, not what is on the outside of you. The inner man. Now, if, if the light doesn't shine in you, light cannot shine from you. And most of us, we have to realize that it's the light of God in us that causes us to be a light to the world. We cannot be a city in the hill if much of what we do is filled with darkness and we have blind spots. Paul is trying to do now. I'm going to quit. We'll deal with Ephesians stand. All of this leads to you having to stand. You will not stand if the inside is not right. What you'll, what you'll probably survive is being accepted by the world. But if you are, if you love the world, you are at enmity, what an enemy of God. God says you can't have two masters. You can't have God and the world. And so it is your, your personal uh, God. Uh, I, heard, I heard something else. He, he, he deals with Moses at the burning bush, apart from the Israelites. He doesn't take Moses in the midst of the Israelites. And in front of everybody starts dealing with Moses' issues. He takes Moses away, puts him in the wilderness. 40 years is a very long time if God just wants to have a quick discussion. It's a long time. So I've taught myself to learn the lessons fast. So God takes him out 40 years in the wilderness. For just one day, randomly a burning bush appears. Moses walks up to this burning bush. We, we can say that's the calling of Moses to go back to Israel, and it, and it is. But I think that was a hard discussion. Because for the first time, God is holding up a mirror to Moses. And he says, Moses, I need you to do this. And Moses says, send someone else. He says, I want you to go, but I can't speak. And Moses goes through things. And until God fixes what's in him, God can't use him from other, for other people. 
He does, he does the same with, with um, Gideon. He doesn't visit Gideon while Gideon is standing with his parents and everybody else and he's trying to deal with the whole group of people. He takes Gideon, he puts him on the side and Gideon by himself is thre uh, uh, threshing, threshing on the threshing floor, wheat in a wine press, as the story goes. He's standing there with Gideon, talking to Gideon. And he says to Gideon, mighty warrior. He says, mighty warrior, that's, nah, uh-uh. So God is dealing with what is in him. God is fixing his internal perspective. God is dealing with his inner man. And when his inner man is sorted out, he becomes the valiant man that God had seen in him when he didn't see it in himself. The light will come in you first before it comes out of you. You have to fix your internal perspective. Your, your inner man has to be strengthened. Your inner man has to have a revelation. Your inner man, that does not happen without your prayer life. Let me tell you now. You, you need to pursue God, not your church, you pursue God. You're in church because of your pursuit of God. Let me correct that, that theology for you. You don't come to church and now you have a revelation with God. You have a revelation of God, now you come to church. I'm not here this morning because I have a responsibility to be here and as a, a result of that, I get to know God. I know God and that's why I showed up this morning. You came to church because you know God. Your heart is right with God. That's why you came to church. It's different if you're a sinner brought here by someone else that needs to get saved and you get saved, that you get saved in the church. But if you're now a Christian, your relationship with God and your revelation of who He is and what He expects of you tells you be at church on Sunday. I don't come to church and hope that He'll speak to me. He spoke to me, now I'm at church. I'm available for service. Does that make sense? It changes on the inside first. If you don't have the perspective of being a servant, because this is how God sees you. Listen, we don't want to have our PhD guys standing in the parking area because they're too gifted to serve like that. But would it not mean more to that position if you have a gifted guy doing it? Why do we put that serving? It's not serving if you take the least able guy and put him in the parking area. That guy's just doing what he's possibly capable of doing. It becomes serving when it's so beneath you, but you still do it. For Alan and for Tian to be there as your security, because I can handle myself. <laughs> well, they're supposedly able as well. <clears throat> they're not the unemployed guys that we can't find anything else to do in church and we can't have them speak to anybody because if they say anything, they'll just mess it up. And now we put them there where they put in black clothing, you can't see them, camera misses them and whew, finally find something for them to do. That's a service and, if the, and, and he's an area leader. It's a service when they take that position and do it while being more capable than just that position. Then it becomes serving. Jesus washed feet. It, you have to have an inner revelation of what is happening through your life for it to have meaning. Then God looks at that, that service and He says, that's more precious to me than you being a bulked up, juiced up, pretend guy, but in the inside your heart this small. This big on the outside, this small heart. Does that make any sense? Try my best this morning. Let's pray. Father, I pray 
that while men see the outside, you see the inside. Well, we have mirrors to tell us we look good on the outside. Your word is the only mirror for our inside. Your word is the only thing capable of dividing spirit. Your word is the only thing that is able to teach us and show us what's really happening on the inside. God, you're after the inside. You want to fill us. Do you not know that your body is a temple of God? God, you want to live in a clean house. Come and clean us up from the inside out. That we wouldn't be whitewashed tombs with death on the inside, but we would be truly vessels of God. Not vessels for dishonor, but vessels for honor. Lives surrendered God saying, here we are, fill us up with your word, with your Holy Spirit. Let us life have meaning and purpose. That where we go, we may not be light in the sense of strength that the world perceives as, as good, but that we would be light in our service and gentleness and kindness and goodness as you have called us to be. Help us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.